Good morning, everyone, and thank you for coming here today. And we want to say thank you for the worship team for leading us in, uh, in worship this morning. As you've heard, Pastor Steve is sick, so he's not able to be here. And I know that some of you are disappointed. I'm disappointed myself. However, we believe that the Word of God is powerful and the Word of God can be preached and God can use rocks to say His name. And I believe that God can use um, a person like me to deliver the message this morning. Let's take uh, just a couple of minutes to pray and to ask God for his, um, his help this morning. Father God, we thank you that we have this privilege to stay here this morning and to worship. We thank you for your promises, and we thank you that you loved us. God, we ask that you're going to um, be with our brothers and sisters who are suffering, and we ask that you're going to be with Pastor Steve Please uh, bring uh, healing and please bring your comfort and your peace with him. And Lord, for this time here together, we ask that you're going to prepare our hearts for your word and you're going to speak to every single one of us. Lord, we need you this morning and Lord, I need you this morning. Please use me as your servant and may you be called a glorified. Amen. Amen. So I've heard a story about a young preacher um, who was invited to be a guest speaker in a church, and he prepared a good message, and he had nothing to lose, so maybe the message was a little bit on the, on the strong side. So he goes to that church, he's preaching the message, and at the end of the service, um, you know, somebody came to him and shake his hand and says, young man, it was a beautiful message. You know, the, the text was very relevant, um, the applications were good, your voice was good, and you know what, every single word that you said was for my neighbor Johnny, but he didn't want to come to church this morning. It's sad that sometimes we come just to listen to what God has to say to other people and not to ourselves. And I pray that today all of us will be able to take something for ourselves, not just for our neighbors who are missing from church this morning. I want to ask you a question, and if you want, you can raise your hands or not. How many of you have been through something difficult in your lives? How many of you have experienced trials, tribulations, um, difficult times? And I see that lots of you raised your hands. Um, sometimes, you know, you see younger people who didn't raise their hands yet. So I, I, what I want to say, guys, that there's going to be a time when you'll be able to raise that hand. Because life on this earth is not perfect. And Jesus didn't promise us a perfect life. Actually, in, in John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so, you, so that you may have peace. In this world, you, ha you will have trouble, trials, and sorrow. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the promise that Jesus has for us. Jesus is not promising that it's a walk in the park and will be a rosy life. No, but he promises that he will be with us when we go through tribulations, with trials, and with sorrows. So this morning, we want to open the Word of God to Psalms. And um, if you have your Bibles with you, please open up to Psalm number 3. Now, I don't know when was the last time when you heard uh, a sermon uh, from Psalms, 
I like the Psalms because we can see the character of God. And um, if we are doing preaching verse by verse, it's good to start with a short psalm. This has only eight verses instead of going to Psalm 119. It's a long psalm, right? So if you have your Bibles with you, please open to Psalm 3 and we're going to read together. I'm going to read from the the Word of God um, and you can follow along. Psalm 3. A psalm of David regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, I have so many enemies, so many are against me, so many are saying, God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, you are my shield around me, you are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. Yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who will surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face, shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from the Lord. May you bless your people. Amen. What I wanted to see today in the Word of God is how can we overcome difficulties in our life? How can we overcome difficult times in our lives? And if we were to look at a couple of of messages from the psalm, we can see that the first thing that we need to do is to externalize our emotions and identify our enemies. Externalize the emotions and identify our enemies. You see, when we go through a tough time, Difficult times and tough times come at the package with strong emotions. And it's very important to recognize that this is what's happening with us. If we keep everything bottled up in our heart and we don't do anything about releasing that, it will harm ourselves. So in this psalm, we see that David was crying out to God. He was releasing those emotions. The same way we need to do when we go through something difficult. We need to cry out to God. We need to externalize the emotions. We need to vent. We need to talk about it. We need to grieve. We need to cry. And to just let out whatever is going through our heart. If you are artistically inclined, then God has given you more gifts that you can use um, for for, uh, this this activity. So, for instance, you can write a song, like David did, or you can compose a poem, or you can paint a picture, or you can draw, you can sketch, you can just let it out. Or, if there's nothing that you can do in terms with your hands, then you need to talk about it. And maybe that's the moment where you need to call the church office and ask for prayer, or you can call a friend, or you can talk with a mental health professional. Emotions are so important, and those emotions are important, some of them to keep for ourselves, and other emotions we need to let out, to externalize those emotions. Now, King David expressed his emotions and his feelings in a creative way. He wrote psalms. Right? And we know a lot about David's emotional state by reading the Psalms. Whatever was going through his heart was externalized as a Psalm. So, for instance, we know that David wrote many Psalms, right? But if you read Psalm 4, Psalm 79, Psalm 109, we can see that David is feeling angry, right? So, when he's angry, he writes a Psalm. 
then if we read Psalm 13, we can see that David feels abandoned by God. That, it's a tough place to be. However, what he does, he composes a psalm. Then in Psalm 56, we see that David feels worried or fearful. Psalm 16, 23, 30, 122, 146, David feels joyful, content, reassured. We get the idea, whatever was going through his heart, he would pull it out as a song. As a song, he would externalize those emotions. So it's important to understand that this is the context in which Psalm number three was written. And if you read the first line, even before the first verse, it says, a Psalm of David regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. So what happened there, David had to flee his home. Basically, he was a refugee. He had to run away from his son. He was chasing him to kill him. So David had to run away, and in, the, in this context, maybe at night, I don't know, that night or the following night, David sat down, maybe took you know, um, something to write on, and then he tried to put words to his feelings. So David sits down and cries out to God and tells him his problems, his disappointments, his doubts, his fears, including the feeling of being betrayed by your own son. That was a difficult time for David. We need to do the same. We need to let out and we need to externalize our emotions. And after we do that, the next thing what we have to do is we need to identify our enemies. Maybe you've seen how the psalm starts. And the psalm says, oh Lord, how many are my enemies, right? So David had to, to think about who are his enemies. And let's look at, um, at the enemies of David. Let's identify them. So the first enemy is, is right there. It's Absalom, right? Now what happened with Absalom's family, it's very interesting. Um, we can say that David's family struggle with a lot of dysfunction. And um, maybe we can say that, you know, there were so many different things going on and the family dynamics were so complex, complicated and, and intertwined that it was very difficult to understand everything was going on there. So David had many children. He had many sons. And what happened is one son uh, crossed the boundaries in something that he never should have done, um, dishonored his sister. And then Absalom, wanted to, he wanted to do to revenge the sister and killed his brother, his half-brother. And now Absalom um, had to be exiled in Geshur. And because we can see David has a good heart and he wants to forgive his children, after a while, after Absalom was in exile, they said, you know what, hey, Absalom wants to come back. And David said, you know what, sure, Absalom, you can come back. So Absalom returned from Geshur. However, when he turned, when he returned home, he was not a changed person. Absalom was not a person to say, I have a second chance. I'm going to turn my life around. Um, you know what, how can I support the king? Not at all. So what Absalom did, he wins the heart of the people by deceit. 
So um, we, are, we don't have time to read all of this, but I know that if you have time, and I was reading um, this, this again just to, to refresh my memory, it's so much information there. So all of this we can find in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. So we can see that Absalom returns back to the city, to Jerusalem, and he is trying to win the hearts of the people by deceit. So he stays at the gate, and he's talking to the people. He, he stays at the gate of the city, and people come in there and says, hey, where are you going? Well, uh, I go to the courthouse. And in those days, David was the judge, right? And then he's listening to them, using maybe empathy listening, and listening to their cause, and this and that. And then he would say, you know what? If I were to be the king, I'll make sure that your cause will be heard, and you justice will be served to you. So he has done this for years. Basically, he was criticizing what David is saying, and he was just trying to win the heart of the people by deceit. If we were to look at this from a different perspective, and I hope that nobody's offended with me, I would say that Absalom was a more modern-day politician of the opposition. So they create a campaign an election campaign criticizing what the other party is doing. And this is what Absalom was saying. You see the king? He doesn't care about you. I'm going to give you housing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Vote for me. If I were the king, I would do this. And this happened for years after years, right? Now, when this is happening, the people in David's entourage, people that maybe they had disagreements, they, they, they start to think about an idea. What if we were going to, to have a conspiracy and put Absalom as the king and kill David? And you know what? This is what they did. So this is what they did. When the time was right, Absalom, with the help of other people, Absalom proclaimed himself king. And now he wanted to kill his father. So David had to run away. And imagine that. You, have to, you are chased from your own palace that you built, right? And David had to run away, and he had to take his family, his servants, um, and, and he just had to, to, to run away. Because if he wouldn't run away, he would have been killed. That was a very difficult time for David. I can only imagine how would I feel if my own son, my own child, would want my position, my company, my business, my house, and now they want my life? That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So this was one of the enemies of David. When David says there, oh God, there are so many enemies, this is what he talks about. He talks about his son, Absalom. Now let's see who is the second enemy of David. So second enemy, uh, his name is Ahitophel. I hope that I'm pronouncing that right. And if we read in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, it says there that Absalom followed Ahitophel's advice just as David had done. For every word Ahitophel spoke seemed as wise as though it has come directly from the mouth of God. So Ahitophel was the chief counselor for David, and Ahitophel aligned and or allied himself with Absalom. And in those days, if you wanted to know what the will of God is, you'd go to talk with Ahitophel, right? So what do you think the people, the population thought when they saw that the chief counselor of the king now is with his son? Maybe they thought God is supporting Absalom as a, uh, as a new king, right? So Ahitophel was uh, the second 
um, enemy of David. And I can only imagine how betrayed David can feel. First, your son is conspiring around you. Now your most trusted person, your chief counsel, is betraying you and is switching sides. And then um, if we read in, in those um, um, chapters of 2 Samuel, we're going to see that there is another person that we have a name for them, who was, I would say, maybe the third enemy of David. And his name was Shimei the Benjamite. Um, so what was happening, David was running away from Jerusalem, and as he was going, you know, he had all his people, he had some troops with him, he has his family, he had the children, it was like a big convoy, right? So as he was exiling, as he was exiting Jerusalem, Shimei came and cursed David. And why was this happening? Because Shimei was from the tribe of Benjamin, and the king before David was from the tribe of Benjamin. So uh, there were some hard feelings going on there. However, Shimei came and he was cursing David in loud mouth and, and saying, God is punishing you. See, this is what you deserve because you took the kingdom from Saul. You see, you, God is doing this to you. You are so awful. So Shimei was just on the side and just cursing and yelling at David. And then in, in the text, it says that he threw stones at him. So David was being chased, almost like the same way you take stones and throw away at a stray dog that comes on your property. The level of humiliation, it's unbelievable there, right? So this was David's enemies. Now, who were, you know, we see that this is what David had to face. These are his enemies. This is who he was up against. The question for us is, who are our enemies today? Who is your enemy today? Sometimes our enemies can be other people. Maybe it can be the competition for your business, or it can be an angry customer, or it can be a neighbor who doesn't have the appreciation for boundaries and property lines, and you're just going back and forth. Or maybe it's a coworker who wants your job or your promotion, or maybe it's your or maybe it's your employee. I don't know who are your enemies, but it's important for you to identify them, to say, who am I up against? Who is my enemy? And if you don't have people as your enemies, I know that all of us, we struggle with different enemies in our lives that can be circumstances, or special things that is happening with us, or limitation, oppression, sickness. We can struggle with that, and that is our enemy. And one enemy that lots of us struggle with, it's fear, is the sense of fear. And it's almost like we're in a battle with this fear, and at times fear is winning. We can have a sense of fear of failure, or fear of rejection, or fear of conflict, or fear of change. And sometimes it's even fear of success. So who is your enemy today? I'd like you to think about that and identify who is your enemy so you know what you have to do, how can you address that? Who do you have to face? How can we overcome difficulties in our life? So we talked about externalize the emotion and identify your enemies. Now secondly, what we have to do is to cultivate peace in our hearts. Cultivate peace in our hearts. And cultivate, I like that word because it says, I'm responsible for something there. Peace is not just growing like this, like weeds. 
You have to cultivate, you have to take care, you have to gather peace in your heart. You have to make a conscious decision to say, I'm gonna focus on these things that bring me peace instead of focusing on those things that bring me worry, right? Cultivate peace in our heart. And we have to cultivate peace in our heart because God is the shield of the believer. So if you look back into the text, you're going to see a difference in tone from verse 2nd to verse 3rd. So 2nd verse says like this, So many are saying, God will never rescue me. And in verse 3, um, David says, But you, O Lord, you are my shield. You are my glory. You are the one who holds my head up high. God is the shield of the believer. About 20 years ago, when I was in university in Romania, I'm old, 20 years ago. Whew. So when, uh, anyway, when I was in university, I had a roommate, and his name was Paul. And we were, both of us were living in small, uh, small towns, and then we had to go to university, to the big city. So when we went there, we had to, to rent an apartment. So we've lived together for a couple of years, and during the week, we will stay, you know, in, in the big city, going to university, and in the weekends, all of us will go back home, and he was a, a godly man. He would serve in his church. I go to the church when I'm coming from serving there, and they will reconvene and it was such a great friendship we would pray for each other and support each other so this was for a couple of years and then paul fell in love with a young lady from states and he moved to alabama um, and i finished university and after a few years we moved here in canada so we kept in touch but it wasn't i mean there is a distance between here and, and alabama we kept in touch and um, occasionally we would talk we would support each other now, it was nine years ago, at the beginning of April in 2013, when he was involved in a car accident and he died. He was 33 years old. So he was 33 years old and he left behind two small children and his wife, um, his wife, Holly, was pregnant with their third child. Who was born two weeks after the funeral. And um, <clears throat> at the time, Michaela and myself, we were living in Kitchener area, and we said, you know what? We have to go there. We have to be there for the funeral. So we drove all the way to Alabama, because we wanted to encourage and support our friend's family. And you know, when we were there, I remember speaking with, uh, with my friend's wife, with Holly, and she had so much peace. She had so much peace. And in those moments, I remember conversations when she said, God gave me peace, because you, you cannot find this peace anywhere. God gave me peace, and God is my shield. And the interesting thing is that we went there to encourage them, to encourage her, and she was the one who was encouraging us with her attitude. And years after that, she wrote a blog, and it was such a good, great blessing to hear how she was able to, to care for her children and as a single mom. You know, in life we will have troubles and problems and trials, but with God we can experience a sense of peace. Then we want to cultivate peace in our heart because God can give us a peaceful life. In verse number five it says, 
I lay down and sleep, yet I woke up in safety. For you, Lord, are watching over me. You, Lord, are watching over me. You know, when you go through difficult times in your life, and when I go through difficult times in my life, I need to be reassured that the Lord is watching over me. I can go to bed and sleep in safety because God is watching over me. There's no place I can hide from the face of God. And there's nothing I can do to separate me from his love. How can we overcome difficult times in our lives? We talked about externalizing the emotion, identifying our enemies, cultivating peace in our heart, and lastly, what we have to do is to pray. When we go through difficult times in our lives, we have to pray. Maybe some of you will say, well, you start with prayer. Yes, but you know, for the message, prayer is uh, the third point. We have to pray. And why do we have to pray? We pray because in verse number seven says, Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. We pray because the victory is not my own doing, but the victory consists in the intervention of God. The victory for my problem is not my smartness and how uh, you know, wise I am. It's God who's intervening for me. You know, there are problems in our lives, or big problems, there's nothing we can do about. Nothing. And in those troubles, in those problems, we can worry ourselves sick and we can drive ourselves bonkers by thinking about it. Or we can say, God, this is everything that I can do. Now I hand over that problem to you and you work for me. You fight for me. You intervene for me because there's nothing I can do. No, don't get me wrong. I believe that we have a personal responsibility and I believe that God is not going to do the things that I can do for myself. God didn't, God is not going to do my job or, you know, to uh, uh, raise my family. But God is doing those things that I cannot do. God is giving me wisdom and is giving me health so I can do the things that I need to do. So I have a part to do and then I have to pray and to trust that at the right time God will do his part. God will do his part. Then we have to pray and let God deal with our enemies. You know, sometimes revenge is such a powerful thing. Because if somebody said something to me, you know, I want to say something back to them, and then this goes on and on and on and escalates. So it's very important for us to pray and to let God deal with our enemies, especially when our enemies are people, other people, right? When I grew up, there was a saying um, that goes like this, God is never punishing using a stick. That means God will not beat you up and everybody will see, oh, this is what happened. God has his own ways to, to serve justice at his own time. You know what? We would like God to be like a superhero character that goes and beats somebody up and then leaves a note beside them and say, this is what you get when you mess up with them. Stay away, right? We would like that. But God is not doing that. He's not. God, he's doing and he's doing justice at his own time. And, and the verse uh, 7, the second part of it, that's a metaphor. We can see sometimes, you know, David was very rolled up and said, God, beat them up and destroy their teeth. That's a, that's a way of metaphor. God is not a mean debt collector that goes to people's homes, breaks their door and breaks their teeth. He's not doing that, right? That is David, you know, saying what he would like God to do. But God is, is not doing that. God has his own methods 
and he will take care of enemies. Now, I just want to look quickly to see what happened to David's enemies, right? We talked about three different enemies. You know what happened with Absalom? You know what happened to Absalom? He died. So after David ran away from Jerusalem um, to retreat himself and gather an army, and then Absalom came to Jerusalem, then there was a big fight between David and his army and Absalom and his army, and says that the fight took place in the forest of Ephraim. So that forest was a very thick forest, and in that fight, what happened, Absalom was riding, uh, riding a donkey there in the fight, and um, I think that, you know, Absalom maybe who was not wearing a helmet, and Absalom was wearing a, a big, long hair. He was more like a, a rock star than, an, you know, clean-shaved army soldiers. So he was, he was going through this forest, and his hair got stuck into a tree. His long hair got stuck into a tree. The animal that he was riding, the donkey, ran away, and now Absalom was hanging from his hair in a tree. Somebody sees this. You read in the Bible. It's very interesting, right? So somebody sees this and tells one of David's uh, generals. And David said, you know, to everybody, please take care of my son. Don't kill him, you know, because David still loved him. However, his general, David's general, didn't love Absalom. So David's general, Joab, killed Absalom. So the first enemy dies. Now let's see what happens with the second enemy. What happens with Ahithophel? And um, I, I will not read the verse, but I'll just summarize it. In 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23, we see that Ahithophel gave an advice to, uh, to Absalom, and Absalom didn't listen to that advice. So Ahithophel, the chief counselor, took that as a big rejection, and the Bible says that he went to his hometown, he set his house in order, and he took his own life. So the second enemy dies. Let's see what happens with the third enemies, with Shimei. And Shimei, um, we can read this in 1 Kings chapter 2, from verse 36 to 46. After David died and Solomon, Solomon was um, the new king, Solomon told Shimei, you know what, Shimei, you are on house arrest here in Jerusalem. The moment you leave Jerusalem, you'll die because it's how he mistreated David. And for a few years, Shimei did his part of the deal. He was in, in Jerusalem, but something happened. Some of his servants ran away, so Shimei ran away to chase those servants. Now, what do you think that happened? Somebody heard about it, told Solomon, the new king, and Solomon gave the order, and Shimei was executed. He died. So the third enemy died. Wow, when we look at that, there were three enemies, and all of them died. Now, we don't want to make a parallel and to say that God will kill our enemies. He doesn't say that, right? But it's reassuring for us to see that God, in his own time, he's doing justice when he needs to do. And you know what? What I like, I like a passage from Bible, and I want to read it from Romans chapter 12, from verses 17 to 21. Because this is helping us to understand how do we have to deal with our enemies. And here says, Romans 12, 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eye of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for the God's wrath. For it is, writ uh, it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't give him poison, give him water, right? Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. I don't know what happened to your enemies in the past. I don't know what's going to happen with your current enemies. But we have to trust at the right time, God will serve justice in his own beautiful plan. We talked about so many things today, and um, I want us to be reassured and, and encouraged today that God is interested in everything that's happening with us. You know, when I think about Psalm 3, it's a short psalm, but when we read the Psalm 3, we can see that the role of the psalm, how the psalm was, was created, was to help the believer detach himself or herself from our daily problems and to be convinced that God is intervening in our problem, in our troubles, in our situations, and He will bring a solution. My prayer for, us, for all of us is to trust Lord in every circumstances of our life. And when we go through difficult times, to remember to cry out to God, to identify our enemies, to cultivate peace in our heart, and to pray to the Lord. If you are going through a difficult time or to a trial this morning, I'm praying that God will make you an overcomer. If you know somebody who's going through a difficult time, through a tribulation right now, through a trial, please be an encouragement for them. Sometimes a text or a card or a meal together can mean a world of difference for them. And I would like to close with verse number eight. I like verse number eight. It says, from the Lord comes deliverance and glory. Or in other translation says, salvation belongs to the Lord. May his blessing be on his people. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you that your word is true for us. We thank you for everything that we receive from you. And we thank you for the encouragement that we received in your word. God, I ask you to help us to cultivate peace in our hearts. And to help us to pray to you and help us to identify, to see exactly who are the enemies. And God, we know that you promised they're gonna be with us and we should be encouraged because you have, you have overcome the world. So we thank you for your promises and we thank you for everything that you are doing for us. Please be with us for the rest of the day. Amen.